Hello and welcome back. I am joined today after quite an extended time away by Steve Hatton and Alex Arani. Hello, guys. Hello, Stu. Hello, Stu. And we thought we'd get cracking with the first of our preseason specials, hopefully not the last, but the first one today. Uh, once again, we're delighted to say that we are joined by Charles Grant, the Crew Alex chairman. Hello, Charles. Hello. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome back for what is your hat-trick appearance on the pod? Is it really? Well, yep, three summers in can, a row now. Let's hope we can get some cheering going on. <laughs> okay, um, Charles, I'm going to start, if I can, with football matters. Um, I'm going to give you my impression first of last season, and then we'll see how far you agree um, with what I saw. Uh, I would say, as a crew fan, last season was somewhere between average and poor as a whole, but I would caveat that by saying it was an encouraging end to the season. How did you read it? Um, I think it's a bit harsh to call it poor, um, only because of what we had to contend with, I suppose, really. Um, the manner of our relegation, you can't under underestimate the the impact that has on you know all the staff and the players um and then to play basically nearly all of your season without your two goal scorers um i thought we weathered that extremely well given the the, the financial restrictions that we've got um so overall i would say it was average um we did well to get a couple of keepers in um, which, if you like, helped at the other end when we were unable to score goals. But I think the guys did fantastically well with Daniel Ajay, who had a look like scoring a goal, you know, when we came down. Um, so I think it was an average season. Um, we finished top of those that were relegated. We finished, you know, middle of the table. Um, and if we'd have got the guys back a bit earlier, I think it could have been quite a bit better. So nothing to shout about, but I wouldn't call it poor, no. Do we, in terms of what was the plan at pre-season when we, I'd say, spent a bit of money, it seemed as though we, we put some wages aside for Baker Richardson, for Connor Thomas specifically. What was the target at the outset of the season? Well, the the target at the outset of any season, as far as I'm concerned, is playoffs. Um, and that included last season. Even though we'd had um, a change of manager at the end, the guys had come in, the last four games of the previous season, um, we spent a bit of money and it was the biggest budget we'd ever had in that league. And the, the target is the playoffs. But, you know, when you've lost Long and Becker Richardson for the best part of the season um, and you're having to, you know, like coach new goal scorers and you haven't got the wherewithal to uh, to bring in, whether that would have been guaranteed or not, then uh, it made the job a lot more difficult. But as I've said to Lee previously, uh, that was certainly... Um, the target, but of course Lee wasn't the manager at the start of the season. So, when you say it was the biggest budget we've had in League Two, <laughs> relative to the league, where would that sort of put that? Now, conscious that we obviously might not know what other clubs' finances are, but where would you envision of us? Um, it would have put us um, in the bottom third, but close to the top of the bottom third. 
Okay, we've just mentioned, um, you know, Lee Bell. At the start of the season, we started with Alex Morris in charge. Um, he came out of the blue for us when he announced that he was stepping down. Was that the case for you and the rest of the board as well? Or was there an inkling or was it just a complete shock to the system? It wasn't a complete shock, um, but it came out of the blue and as a complete shock relative to the start of the season. Um, I had no idea um, until I I spent had a few meetings with Alex prior to his stepping down um, because it was obvious he was having problems. Um, and so when it actually happened, it wasn't a surprise, but it was certainly a surprise relative to when we started the season and when, and when we appointed him. So just because um, these things build, then obviously I was going to know before uh, before supporters. But um, overall, it was still very much a shock. It wasn't actually a shock on the day, but it was a shock. Um, we certainly, and I said um, previously that, you know, we do not plan to change our manager. <laughs> that was not uh, in any of our plans for 22-23. Um, can I just ask, because obviously this is, the, as, as Stu said, it's the third time you've been on, and every time you've been on, we've had a different manager. Um, how, what was the process like for when eventually Lee, Lee Bell was caretaker? What was the process in terms of eventually deciding that he was going to be the long-term successor? We went out, we got, I can't remember the numbers now, but it was, I'm sure I've said somewhere else, but there's quite a few people applied, and... Um, we got the list down to nine and we interviewed four people. There was some, so a couple of um, certainly well-known names on the list, um, but we interviewed and at the end of the day, given everything that we have to consider in terms of um, the long-term future and health of the football club, um, it wasn't, it was an easy decision to make. Um, we, could, we could have probably made it without going out into the marketplace, but we all thought it was appropriate um, to go and talk to uh, to managers, and we spoke to two or three quite experienced ones. The, the real issue comes down to you cannot escape um, that the su survivability and prosperity of Crows Under Football Club is inextricably linked to its academy, and you need that that knowledge, uh, that belief uh, in that system in order for the football club to um, um, survive and prosper. And the, if you like, very crudely, we knew that all of the coaching, all of the kids that were coming through, all of the systems that are in place, Lee Bell knew standing on his head, there was 10% of the job that he hadn't got the faintest idea about um, because he'd never been a manager before. And he is still learning a lot of those things. Whereas the experienced managers knew all of that whatever percentage that is, you know, that sort of 10% or 20%, whatever it happens to be. And they had lots of experience, but they had no experience whatsoever of being the um, head football figure in a football club whose whole um, mantra is about developing, uh, playing, and um, doing that in a certain fashion. And within very significant constraints, financial constraints. So in the end, it was a very easy decision to make, even though it took a you know, few weeks to do it. Um, and one that uh, I'm proud that we made. Um, I think he's doing pretty well. 
And there was quite a lot there, Charles. I definitely want to come back to what you just said about the academy being inextricably linked to crew, the, the past and the future of the club. But I'm going to put that to the side for a second. So I want to just carry on talking about Lee Bell. Um, now, it was the second internal appointment um, that we'd made in about six months. You've just made some really good points uh, about why that you felt that was the case. The board felt that was the case. It was, if I'm polite to yourselves and Lee, it was a mixed bag on social media in terms of the response from the crew fans. Was that something you were expecting or was it a surprise? Well, I think we've got to be careful when you say a mixed bag on social media. Um, uh, at the end of the day, we very often find that 50% thought it was a goal, 50% thought it wasn't a goal and vice versa. So, you know, that is football. You know, people have uh, different views. I mean, I... I speak to an awful lot of fans, both in the ground on game day and particularly in the town centre during the week and certainly during the close season. And I think people overall, my take on people's view across the stadium, if you like, from young to old was, um, you know, it could have been an easy decision and, a you know, a decision that was easy to make through to... Um, I'm glad you've done it. Do you think it'll work? Through to, I'm glad you've done it because I'm not sure we could do anything else. So, I mean, they're all the considerations. I can assure you that we we thought about it long and hard, and we we were dead straight with um, with Alex and Lee as well before um, before we did it. There's you know, there's uh, no proven method for doing something like that when when you're faced with a situation where somebody has to stand down for compassionate you know reasons okay just a, a word on alex then because obviously this summer he's moved on um i'm sure this is quite possibly one of the easiest questions i'm going to ask you tonight that he's going to be quite a loss isn't he yeah he is he's i mean he's a fantastic coach um everybody knew uh, and they you know recognized that alex was the best um, coach at Crow Alexandra, but um, was he was he better than Dario and he's not here? Was he better than Steve Holland and he's not here? Is he better than Critchley and he's not here? Um, coaches move on, and um, the uh, the team has to continue to perform. So yeah, he's a, he's a loss, and I liked Alex as well a lot. Um, but when you put yourself in his situation and the club in its situation, I suppose inevitably that's what was going to happen. He, he had his dream job. Um, and for reasons I uh, wouldn't tell you if I knew, but I certainly do not know, uh, you know, exactly what went on and led to him stepping down. Other than I could see it coming over the last two, you know, the last two or three weeks of his, of his reign, so to speak. Once he'd done that, you know, what was he going to do? Um, He'd given up the job that, you know, if you like, in his mind, he'd probably set his set his heart on trying to achieve uh, since he was injured out of playing the game. So um, you sit there and you go, well, where do I go next? And at the end of the day, he was approached with a very good offer, um, both in terms of job content and uh, what we could afford to pay um, by Stoke City. And not likely to be the Crew Alexandra manager again. So um, he is a loss, but we've got a lot of good coaches. I'm not saying they're better than Alex, but they're younger and, and, and they're, you know, they're coming. And it's it's about, the clue is, it, you know, it's a team game. 
whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, it is a team game, whether it's the board, whether it's the management team that um, put it all together um, run by Lee or whether it's the 11 on the uh, on the pitch on a Saturday, it's, it's all about team. So um, he's a loss, but I wish him genuinely the very, very best because, like I said to somebody the other day, um, you know, he got his job. He was the best coach in the uh, in the club for whatever reason. He wasn't able to hold that job down for very long. Um, and he's gone off to Stoke. Now, you don't have to have a very long memory or watch much international football to realise that that may not be the end of the line for Alex Morris. And I hope he can go on and um, emulate what uh, what uh, Steve did uh, and is now doing with England. So, Just on the Alex Morris situation, back in October, was he under pressure for his job or were you confident that he was still the right man for it even though it was a pretty wretched run of form before he obviously stood back and was there the I know we then did the job swap was there ever the intention that if you're resigning from your role you're resigning from the club absolutely not no I mean um he wasn't under pressure for his job as I said to you at the very start you know we we took a view that you know, the season after relegation is always a very, very difficult season. And, uh, you know, you've got to have, you've got to keep your wits about you. You've got to keep your nerves. And um, Alex has started well. He'd had a bit of a, you know, a bad run. But um, at no point did I think we were going to shoot him back into League One. I mean, obviously, you always hope you can. And I always I thought, hopefully we'd get to the playoffs. But um it wasn't a disastrous run, and we were miles behind as well in terms of uh, games played. So um, I think we were five behind at one stage. So was his job ever under threat? Um, no, it was not. Okay, let's move on then to uh, Lee Bell is now the crew manager. Uh, he's going to be the crew manager this season. I would say, from what I touched on at the at the start, you know, we had a, a pretty enjoyable end to the season. Uh, hopefully some momentum going into this um, season coming. Lee Bell, I would, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I'd say he has the support of the majority of supporters now. Um, what's going to be a successful season for you, for the board, for the club? Are we are we going back to the answer of playoffs again? Or are we aiming we higher? Are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to Lee about it at length. I mean, um, the... The homegrown products that we've got in and players are another year older. Some that we thought might play last year played quite a lot and have, have developed. Um, they're a year older, a year fitter, a year bigger, a year stronger, another year's confidence. And we've got some, you know, new talent uh, brought through the door. Um, so You've always got to be careful, I think, not to let any comments that are too positive sound like complacency because it's not. But relative to where I was sitting this time last year, when we, I don't think we'd ever had a season as bad as the one we had in League One. I haven't gone back and checked all the games won, lost, and goals, but that was as bad a season as I can ever remember in my um, reasonably long life. It was it was not pleasant, and so. Um, sitting here now, having done quite a bit of business that um, the team seem pretty happy with, um, with the homegrown talent another year older. And I mean, we're going to have a number of new players next year. I mean, you know, we've got a player called Zach Williams, 
Yeah, he didn't kick a ball last year, really. Another one, Chris Long, never kicked a ball. Um, you know, Courtney didn't kick many either. So we don't have to recruit those players and find out if we think they're any good or whether they can do the job we want them to do. Providing they're fit, we know they can. So that, I think, puts us um, in a more confident position. But you've got to be careful that confidence doesn't become complacency, as I said. So um, I think I think we've done well in the window. And I think we're looking forward. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to it. And I know Lee is looking forward to the start of the season. So. Are we, have we got any more perms on the way in? Is there more room in the budget? Well, I actually don't know the answer to that question in the sense that um, we got a new recruitment team uh, and I, in terms of detail, I've stayed right out of it because I think if you're going to set up a new set of systems and you, you use new techniques to find and recruit players, then you've got to let the process uh, take its course. So um, I think we're pretty much there, but... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a couple more, whether they're permanent or not. I, I genuinely am not close enough to it. Lee has a budget. This year, his budget is based on SCMP. Previous years, we've had sort of some monies in the bank from transfers. This year, we are going to be very close to SCMP ceilings. We cannot afford to break, you know, the sort of financial fair play. He knows what his number is. He is very uh, relaxed about it. Um, and he will work to those numbers. So, you know, he's got he's got a bit of leeway, and he's also uh, hoping to um, to move a couple of players on. So, um, yeah, probably. Um, is there anybody that we're desperate to get as we speak? Uh, that certainly isn't the case. Lee presented to the board last week, um, and as I said, was um, brothers up to date, and there will be exactly where I don't know. That depends on who moves on and when. Um, but we start pre we started pre-season this week um with you know four new signings, which is which is good. You referenced the budget there was in previous years, there were some leftovers with transfers this year, it's towards SEMP. If I was to infer then, would that inference be that the budget's been reduced for the upcoming season and we've got we work with tightened our belt, or is that a unfair? Yes, because you cannot spend fifty more than fifty percent of what comes in through the door. Um, and the fact is that um, what comes through the door is the determining factor. So last year, um, we had a lot more, so we were able to do a bit more. Um, we've had to tighten a bit, but equally, um, we're going to have people in the squad and people who've left the squad um, that help us, help us with that. So it's not, it's not material and it's not um, significant, but, yeah, we've got to tighten our belts. That's... Um, that's the, the name of the game. We certainly can't afford to uh, to bust the limits because if you bust the limits, then you're in real trouble. So, but we live with that. I mean, we know what that is. Um, and uh, it's it's not a panic. It's, it's, a, it's a fact of life. Now, um, I sort of don't really know enough about other League Two clubs to ever really know these players very well when we bring them in. One of the barometers, I know it's not, a major or key barometer is I always have a look at what the fans say about him, the player that's signed from the club that he's left. Uh, quite a few of the signings, or if not all of the signings we've made this uh, summer, 
possibly the exception of Davis, because obviously he's just a, a young goalkeeper from Liverpool, have been quite upset that they've left, specifically uh, Crawley fans with Jack Powell, who we signed late last week. That indicates to me that, you know, it's, it is a, a, a measured approach this year uh, in terms of recruitment. But the reality is we are fishing in ponds that are only going to get smaller especially with the, the clubs that have come in to League Two this year. You know, Wrexham, I don't know if you've heard, but they've got a couple of rich owners. Uh, MK Dons, you know, they've just been relegated into League One, into League Two rather. So um, it must be getting really difficult to bring in quality players that are going to hit that playoff uh, target with the wages that we can uh, afford at Crew. Um, yeah, it, 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 it is. Um, but there's two things that you know give me cheer or heart. Uh, I mean, one that's always been the case. Um, there's always been bigger clubs than Crew. Uh, you know, you look at the size of Crew as a town versus the 72 league clubs that we sit in, and you know we're well above we're well above that number. But there's, I mean, the Wrexhams of this world, um, or even the Stockports, and somebody who, who comes in and deposits tens of millions of pounds then you're always going to struggle to compete with those in the transfer market. But that doesn't mean to say you can't, you know, you can't compete on, on the football field. And um, it's the way football's going. And that is the root of why I started this interview by saying that the academy is everything. You know, um, two and a half years ago, we, we, we saw good players or good players were bought for significant amounts of money, all of whom went to the championship initially. And um, that's the way we will do it because we don't have a single here today, gone tomorrow, whatever owner who's, you know, prepared to support 10 or 20 million pounds at a go. And um, that's, that's not a complaint. It's a fact of life. Um, and we're still confident that we can compete in that, in that arena. Um, and not only just compete, but I'm going to be in the playoffs. But you can't, you know, you can only control what you can control. You can't control the Wrexhams or, or even the Notts Counties, for that matter, or Milton Keynes coming down. I mean, these people generate way more income than we do. And in case of Wrexham, significantly more income. Therefore, they can spend 50% of that on players. Um, you know, unless we get 10,000 through the gate, then we're not going to generate those amounts of money. And the way the good news is that the the legislation that's likely to come out, the white paper and the government's going to impose with an independent regulator will make it um, a fairer, fairer game and it will, you know, make it a more level playing field. So I look forward to that. But in the interim, get on with it. Don't you? It's a bit like, you know, you're at fullback and all of a sudden you see an Olympic sprinter coming towards you down the wing. Still got to play against him, you know. And. Um, whether you trip him up or whatever. So I don't lose a lot of sleep over that because there's nothing I can do about it. Um, going back to the Dario era, we had a real reputation. One of our selling points was that although we couldn't offer lots financially, we could we could improve players and players would join the club knowing that the coaching would improve them, move them on. Do you feel that... that Obviously, Dan Ajayi is a good example of someone who has improved and become a much better player here. Do you feel that's still a selling point of the club and people still come to us in terms of players, in terms of improvement? Very definitely. Um, and Dan Ajayi is exactly that. 
I mean, if you just said at the start of next year, we're not going to have those two goal scorers, um, and Dan Ajay didn't come to us as a goal, us as a goal scorer, um, you know, that coaching, that management team and that coaching squad got to work on him. And uh, I know he got a few penalties, but, you know, he looked dangerous and he looked, and he's got his move and probably multiple times his wages, and he's gone back into League One and good luck to him. But yeah, we did that. And the reason that we got James as our second goalkeeper after Arthur was because we can improve goalkeepers. And that's the reason we've got the Liverpool boy. And there's a number of players who are with us now and have just joined us who see coming to crew as not only um, a place to play good football, but also that we can make them a better player. And I personally have those conversations with players when I'm just sort of shooting the breeze because... And they're the kind of things that you can talk about with uh, with individuals. So it's very definitely a part of who we are. That it's not quite as black and white as it used to be because everybody has got an academy now. When when Dario was doing those things in the days of the Centre of Excellence and just before the start of the E Triple P system, then uh, there wasn't the same competition in, in any sense of the word. Now there is, but that's what we're in, isn't it? Competition and uh, I think it's good. One of the things I was going to ask you, Charles, but I feel like we've sort of answered it uh, with a couple of answers today is um, we're recording this on Monday. So a couple of days before it's coming out. But yesterday being Sunday, the club announced that the three youngsters, uh, Lund, Kempster Down and Woodcock have all signed their first professional deals. So it is sort of key to you from what I've already heard, but also key as well that this academy is... The, it is the past of the club, but you see it as the future as well. It's the, it's the way we're going to carry on going. Yeah, um, in a way, I'm almost surprised you've asked me the question. Uh, the, the, um, I've said on numerous occasions, if we weren't an academy club, I wouldn't be here. If we had to go and find 11 players every August, um, effectively, which is what a lot of clubs try and do, uh, it wouldn't have the challenge, it wouldn't have the interest. Um, and... You know, you wouldn't really know who you were watching. I actually think it's moving towards crew in the sense that uh, clubs, you know, further down the, the or even even further up, you know, Brentford are going back into academy as well. But academy is the future now, um, because we the GBE rules, you know, are very uh, strict in terms of who you can bring in from abroad. So I'm, I'm not talking about crew now; I'm talking about football in general. And um, Therefore, homegrown talent is everything. I mean, our our challenge is to get players to come to crew in the first place and then keep them. We've just lost a boy, um, a number 11, Friday to, to Everton, um, which happens occasionally. Uh, not very often, thank you, but occasionally. We lost, uh, In fact, we lost Zach. Zach went to Everton for a year, but uh, he came back. So th- the academy has to be where it's at in terms of developing players and if you look at the team that took us into League One two years ago when we went up, um, or three years ago when we went up, then that was academy-based. There was seven point, whatever the average number was, seven and above, 7.2 or something, um, academy players in that team. Um, so that is, that is the future. But you do need, you know, these experienced players in different positions from time to time, whether that be goalkeeper, centre-half, midfield or up front or a spine or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's 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 a mix. I'd love to have 
you know, a very successful League One and above team that was only based on academy. But, you know, that'll take a while. With the academy set up, the way that the sort of EPP has been set up, is it not there to marginalise clubs like us? And do we not need to sort of, I'm not saying academy is not the way forward, but we're obviously cat to, there's an expense that comes with it. And it doesn't necessarily always produce the quality of player. I mean, we've got three transfer listed players at the club at the moment. Two of them are academy boys who are clearly not good enough, deemed good enough for League Two level. That is an output of the 800k a year expense. Would we not still be producing players like that if we were sort of cap free and then could invest more money elsewhere? I don't know. I'm I'm sort of playing devil's advocate because I don't know the answer. But just looking at it from the outside in, the way this has been structured, it's almost been geared towards the big clubs, and we're trying to play in a field which we we just can't. Well, you're right on so many fronts. Um, that it's it is more geared towards the, the larger clubs. There's no doubt about it, and. Uh, the likes of Colchester and Crew as a Cat Two club um, often causes embarrassment to those above. And the seven or eight hundred thousand pounds that we put into the academy, you, if you do the maths, you don't get a lot for that. Um, the um, the return, if you like, in terms of the players we generate ourselves um, who've come through the system and play for us, the cost of those players. Is significantly less than what we have to pay to bring in. So, um, category three hasn't been proven to work. Um, there's a couple of exceptions that have done okay. Exeter's one, um, and uh, uh, Carlisle did okay last year. But as a general statement, you know, it's you you couldn't you couldn't build a system around that. I don't think. And we know we know what's coming through from the. If you go back, uh, we made a, an investment when the when the new board was formed and the new investment um, people came in, and um, we decided to invest in pre-academy, which is a very tricky subject because it's six to eights and and that's actually prior to uh, any formal academy adoption. But um, so that we could get players for definite at nine, because we know that at nine they're the players who tend to come through and play in the first team. So when you when you work all that through, both logistically and do the stats on those who are likely to get through or not get through, and then you keep your eye on them position by position from certainly from 11 upwards and what you can see coming through, the, the, um, the skill is to try and make sure that there's no holes in that system, which we didn't manage to do after the sort of Kirk and Pickering, Dale, um, Perry NG sort of uh, era, but is to make sure that you've got um, a conveyor belt of talent uh, good enough to, at some stage to play in two, get out of two and play in one. And we did that. We got promoted and the first year with that academy base side, um, we finished, you know, reasonably well in League One. If, if it had been kept together and we'd had the, the system slightly better. But, you you know, at the end of the day, these are, these are Kids are human beings, and you know you you can't. Um, it's not like programming a computer. But your question really was more about the alternative, and I can assure you that every year I ask one of the directors to do um, an academy evaluation and tell us whether we could do it differently, you know, in a different way. Because if we just blindly believe there is only one way to do it, then somebody's probably going to have our lunch. Uh, but we don't. Um, 
and you know we did the exercise again this summer um, well the back end of the season actually to just double check that things haven't changed so much that we would have to change our academy approach Charles you you, you mentioned how Lee's got the budget um, the recruitment team are sort of uh, picking the players and you sort of stay away from it when it comes to actual terms of contract how does that work through and if we were to cite a couple of examples in recent times where it may not have gone to plan Basala Sambu 18-month contract has an extension option Daniel Aji same length of contract no extension we've had to pay one off and the other one's gone up to league one so just trying to flow through in terms of the process how does it how's it working now in terms of I presume ultimately you've still got to put your your pen on paper to say yeah we'll, we'll sanction that or is it oh, yeah. the recruitment? Is it the recruitment team identify and say, right, this is a length of contract based on the data we know? Um, you know, we've only got what a couple of hours. You know, these <laughs> there's a lot. We've got as long as you there. want, Charles. As long as you want. There's a lot goes into that question. Uh, I mean, first of all, the way in which we're doing it today um, is quite a bit different than the way we were doing it a couple of years ago. I mean, the Basala extension crept through. We missed it. So there's no point in doing anything and say we missed it. Um, Daniel Aji, when we got him in um, midway last year, was a bit of a coup uh, in that he was definitely, you know, he played higher. Um, and, and we got him, even though he didn't look very good, I didn't think, in the, sorry, the year he came, not this last season, the season before. Um, and we did a lot of work with him and, but we, we couldn't get him to sign more than an 18-month contract because he wants to be in London in the Championship, you know, not in the north of England in League Two. So we got him for the six months and, and, and another full season. It's, you know, the players have a bit to do with this in terms of what they're prepared to do. Um, and then the manager, um, you know, what goes into negotiate, negotiating their terms is, is considerably long-winded. I mean, Jack Powell um, was has always been Lee's number one pick for that position. And I first saw Jack Powell at Reese four or five weeks ago. It takes a, it takes a while. Uh, and all of the questions that you just asked there about how you get these things into contract and make sure of this and make sure of that come down to talking to the, the other party, which is the player, um, to try and get it right. So... Uh, Aji, I thought we, when we got him, we did well to get him for 18 months. He didn't really do it in the first six months, but last season he did well. And I said to Daniel, oh, I don't know, um, a couple of games before the end of the season, um, I asked him if he, if he was going to be resigning, not knowing that he wouldn't, you know, given his personal situation, given the lad himself, you couldn't meet a nicer lad, what his ambitions were, that he was, you know, I thought he might end up at Millwall, actually, but, you know, late nor in, in League One, back where your family's all based, um, why on earth would he stay at Crook, particularly as that's what his contractual commitment was, you know, he, he served that well, as I say, but that was a different matter, so um, we can't get them all right all the time, you know, um, goalkeepers make bloopers and Centre forwards miss goals, so we're not infallible. Just on just on the Aji point, we paid a fee for him. I mean, we don't often. I know obviously we did it with Nevit this year as well. It's not something we're accustomed to doing over the past decade, give or take. Is there not an element of actually if we're paying a fee, we want to sort of protect that asset for longer than the eighteen months, or we're saying actually we're happy to 
you know, sink that cost over the length of an 18-month contract. It just seems to, I don't know, in a club where obviously, you know, money is is tight, it seems um, to in the face a bit of it. Well, at the end of the day, you, you know, you, you cost it out over the period. I mean, and that's the way football's going. I mean, um, soon the Football League, um, of which we're, you know, a shareholding part will look at every single player over his contractual commitment over time. And um, we try and do that in our own little way anyway. So whether they've got an agent fee, whether they've got a signing on fee, uh, whether we pay a transfer fee, whatever it happens to be, you know, we cost that out against the yearly budget. And the person who has the last say on whether that player comes is always the manager. You can't have directors and chairman uh, picking teams. What you can say is, I don't think that's going to work because you just bust your budget, or I don't think that's going to work because you wanted two uh, and you can't afford both of them. Uh, that then comes down to the manager, and it's um, you know, it's a it's a working relationship matter. Um, I must confess, I remember um, Basala coming on board, but and I obviously signed his contract, um, but I can't, you know, I don't recall that option, uh, but it was there, and we missed it. Um, we missed it down the track. So as I say, we're not infallible, but we look at the, you know, you've got to look at the whole lot in the round and then make your make your decisions. Like you said a minute ago, is it worth paying £800,000 into the academy? We think it is. You know, was it worth getting uh, Daniel Ajay just for the 18 months because he wasn't prepared to sign any longer than that? Uh, the decision was made. And I'm glad he did because without him last scoring those goals last year with the other two missing, we'd have had a real problem. So, um yeah, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, and but you have to you have to learn from it as well. And uh, I think Lee's learned quite a lot from those kind of things over the last, you know, since they've been involved the last twelve months or so, fifteen months. Okay, Charles, thank you for that. Um, I think we're going to move away from players on the pitch to some off pitch questions now. But I think Steve's got a question first about the pitch itself. Yeah, I had a listen back to um the last time you were on Charles and you spoke about the lamps and the heat lamps and the 400k it would cost a year um, for the pitch and obviously we're all aware that this year the pitch has arguably been the worst it's it's ever been I was just wondering what what in your mind what was it that went wrong that led to it being oh. worse than last time around <laughs> oh if if I knew the answer to that I have no idea we spent more money on that pitch last year than well, we certainly we spent when I've been at the football club, and we followed all of the uh, the consultants' reports, and then we chose a contractor to do it. We did everything that was supposed to have been done, and if you looked at that pitch in the middle of November, you'd have said, "What a fantastic investment that was," because it looked fabulous in the middle of November, and within about two weeks, it looked like. My lane that I live down, and as well have been a piece of tarmac. I have no no idea. One thing I do know is that uh, having asked the question, sort of Christmas time, um, the answers I got as to what had gone wrong and what we needed to do didn't square up very well with the report I was looking at from the previous April, when. The experts said, oh, wow, you, see, you need to do one, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do the other. Of course, we didn't actually know it was going to be so dry at this point and so wet at that point, et cetera, et cetera. 
you may or may not know that I'm a software engineer and sometimes software people and IT people are accused of being deliberately um, confusing when they want to talk about these matters. Well, I can tell you trying to pick the bones out of how pitches grow and the whole science of pitch science, it's just as much a black art and there's as many, many smoke, as much smoke and as many mirrors involved because I genuinely don't know. Ian Williamson, who's close to, to that matter, you know, a farmer grown, he listens to what these people tell us about, you know, the, um, the, the content of the soil. We put new um, fibre back into it. We followed the feeding programme to the letter. The chemical cost was absolutely enormous. And you put, you put the cover on for the first time and it didn't survive. And it didn't survive because it didn't have root. Yet the whole plan in the May-June when we reseeded it was to make sure it did have root and by the time you know the, the winter came. So I don't know. I genuinely do not know. But to say I'm frustrated um, is an understatement. Do you think we'll be better off this year? I do hope so. Um, well, you've got to be careful saying that, haven't you? Um, yeah, I'd like to think, you know, we can't. Um, and as I say, we looked at some pictures from November and it looked fabulous. It really did. And it looks fabulous now. You know, even the bits that were bad before it's But, you know, you get... I'll listen. I've, I've sat in on a couple of the meetings with, um, with Ian and the contractors and, and the grounds people. And I think to myself, you know, it's, it sounds almost like witchcraft to me, some of it. And I think it does to Ian as well. But you're in the hands of, you know, um, the people that give you the, the advice. And, you know, we're not, it's not as if we're going to third-rate um, consultants. We're going to top people. Um, now, they can always say, well, you know, you need to spend half a million pounds on lights and, 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 but we can't do that. And uh, a lot of clubs don't do that. And a lot of clubs don't have that problem. Um, there's, you know, there's a whole series of um, major contributing factors. We all know about the roof. You know, you can't put light in the roof. Uh, it wouldn't reach the ground. So um, we've got what we've got. Should we have lights down that side? Well, the cost of them is enormous. The cost of rock up. We'd have run them with electricity as it is now. That would have been more than the playing budget, probably. I mean, then you go to Kids Grove. We've got soil pitch. There's no technology involved in kids' growth pitch at all. Uh, and it was playing better than ours was in December. Um, all I can say is that that wasn't a fundamental part of our business plan. And it did come as a bit of a shock uh, to those who, who were involved. Um, and a disappointment to absolutely everybody. You know, the players and the staff, the management, the directors, and obviously the fans. Um, there was one or two pitches that kicked up that way as well. Um, around the, uh, if you'd have asked me in advance, I might have been able to pull them out. But there was there was two or three that really went bad. Uh, but ours was bad. I mean, it's you know I'm trying to in any way um, diminish the matter. I mean, it was awful. Um, and of course, you know, it's a bit like when people say, well, you know, the defender they he just whacked it away. Well. At no point does the manager of Crowley's and a football club sit in the dressing room and say, oh, when the ball comes, just whack it. 
because that's not the way we play. And equally, uh, at no point did the football club wish to have a poor pitch that stops the opposition playing. We want a good pitch that allows us to play better than the opposition. So it's a real downer when when you uh, when you get a pitch like that. And we're trying hard this year not to get one and to get a much better surface. Not up till November, because I say it was good, but right the way through. Let's see. Okay, moving on to a different topic then, Charles. Uh, one thing that's changed this summer is ticket prices, season ticket, match day prices. Um, I saw something recently with you saying that the initial sales had been good. What's the reaction been to those uh, ticket changes or price changes? Do you mean the, the fans' reaction? Yes. And, and um, well, fans' reaction, but then also in terms of are people paying the money? Is that still going on? Uh, the, yeah, it the is, sales? it is. Yeah, it's, um, it's still going on. We've got 200 new um, season ticket holders. I haven't checked up since um, we closed out of the weekend on people to save their seats. So that's a, another point. But we were, we, we were ahead. And that is extremely uh, encouraging um, because we put the season ticket prices up um, quite a lot. Not as much as we needed to, to be honest, um, because the costs have gone through the roof. Um, but we put them up and uh, the supporters have stayed with us, which is fantastic. Can I ask about um, match day tickets? Because um, living <laughs> living quite far away, I, I, I'm not a season ticket person. And obviously the match day tickets have, have gone up. And um, for example, last year at Crawley, I paid 15 quid to stand behind the goal there and I'm looking this year and obviously I'd accept their prices may have gone up so I'm looking 21.50 for a member at crew um to 25 behind the goal I was just wondering what the rationale is behind I appreciate everything's gone up as you say but are you concerned that the increase in match day tickets is going to put off kind of casual fans who might want to drop in with somebody else um I'm not sure I'm concerned about them dropping in with somebody else, but I am concerned that it might it, it might have a detrimental effect. But at the end of the day, we have to uh, generate income. Our percentage sales of season tickets is is down there. It's pretty low relative to whatever you consider the number of people who regularly attend Crew Alexandra. Our percentage that actually buy season tickets is quite low, um, which is which is something we've lived with for a long time, and you know we've tried. Uh, various things the if we're playing well more people come to see us if we're not playing well like two seasons ago uh, then then people don't um i think if you if you can you should buy a season ticket because the cost of that is extremely competitive um if you can't then uh, we have to make sure that the season ticket remains you know relatively that compet you know that competitive so that um we can at least try and judge our income for the year what we can't afford to have is the not knowing okay um so one one thing that i think um is a fact of reality with football is you know we don't like to consider ourselves as this uh we're fans but the reality is we're also customers uh you know and it's all about um what are we putting into the club and one thing i think that i liked last year was uh instead of it coming from just the fans there's some ideas about how the club is going to bring in other money as well and an example of that is the um the car park with the solar panels how far away are we now from that actually being a reality because i think there's been some progress in that recently has there 
well, I mean, the long and the short is it was still waiting for the council. Um, you know, we were almost planning permission inside, you know, the uh, statutory time, eight weeks or whatever it is. Um, uh, the police had some questions and the, the council's got even more technical questions. And I haven't checked in the last week or so, but Tony Davison is constantly pushing and pulling, but, you know, it, it, it trudges along. Um, and uh, until we've got the planning permission, we can't even start to put the whole business case and project together. Um, you know, we needed to have done it six months ago, really, or at least to be started with it six months ago. I mean, the business case was a lot better then when fuel prices were high. Um, it's 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 not quite as attractive now, but it's still a good idea. Um, but we're not in control of that first part of the project. So um, as soon as we are, then you know we'll look at it and determine how much we do and how quickly. That was obviously one way we're looking to diversify income. Is there any other sort of ideas that are, are floating around around? Because when it came out, I thought it was really innovative. It's like we've got land there let's leverage it and let's bring in another revenue stream so we're then not reliant on people strolling up on the day and paying 25 quid as much as we are now. Is there any other ideas that we can utilise, that we can leverage to, to, to drive revenue streams, especially as everything's coming back to the 50% number that you've referenced earlier? We obviously need to drive that up as much as possible so we can potentially improve the product on the pitch. Well, I mean, um, the driving up the... The season tickets is 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 difficult. So we try and take a view as to what that is, then we look to the other areas. I mean, hospitality and all that um, that commercial activity has generated a hell of a lot more money in the last three years than it did prior to that. Uh, since Tony Davis and Stuart Whitby have got involved in that, then our monies that come from, um, uh, should we say, commercial activity off the pitch. Um, but still football related uh, has improved significantly but the costs have gone through the roof um both into i mean our electricity i can't remember the number now it's it's eye-watering i mean keeps andrew blakemore awake at night the cost of electricity and and such like i mean you've you've got to improve your your top line uh, just to stand still with your cost line um so the car park was, is, has always been something that we've tried to make money from. And in the days when Railhouse was full, uh, it generated a nice amount of money. But Railhouse is now empty. Um, so we have to generate it elsewhere. We've had various conversations with HS2 about, you know, their use of the car park. Over the, I mean, we're talking 10 years now as well, because, I mean, probably 10 years before it gets here. And it'll probably take 10 years while they are here. So there's long-term conversations taking place with HS2 about various things, but these things move at a snail's pace. You know, it's um, it's glacial really in terms of its progress, but we're always looking to try and generate non-football related income. Um, you know, whether that's uh, at Rees Heath, um, Shavington or, um, or at the stadium, but it's a competitive market. And at the end of the day, the expertise we've got uh, is in football um, and you know that's where we're best placed but we'll always look at uh, things like the car park um, and we'll continue to do so 
Okay, Charles, let's move on to something else then, uh, something different for you this year. Uh, congratulations, as you're now the new League Two representative to the EFL board. Uh, firstly, can you explain what that means? Um, yeah, uh, and I'd be delighted to do so because um, you read so often, um, whether it's in the press or you're here, you know, on the radio, that you know the EFL's not done this or the EFL's stopped this takeover bid or has not approved the other thing. Um, what a lot of people don't don't understand, I suppose, or or um, are not aware of, is that the EFL is very simply a limited company that runs a competition or runs three. It runs a football league competition, it runs um, the Carabao Cup and it runs the the trophy competition. But it's it's just simply a, an organisation, a limited company, and it is owned by Creole Alexandra. It's owned by Port Vale. It's owned by all the football clubs, um, the, the 72 football clubs. So we are the EFL. It doesn't do anything that we don't tell it to do. So some of the crazy rules and regulations that it has to implement are all down to us. We might have forgot that we, you know, we tried to do those things 20 years ago or 30 years ago, whatever it might be. But the EFL is us. And it's it's so important to be part of the EFL as a competition, because we don't want to be in the National League, and we want the EFL um, to be competitive against the Premier League. Um, and there's only um, one person who's going to be able to do that, and that's the football club, all 72 of them. Um, so at the minute, the EFL's got a number of challenges. Um, I don't know how much um, podcast listeners or su uh, supporters in general know about the um, the progress or lack of that's being made in terms of government regulation um, or in terms of persuading the Premier League to be uh, more realistic in terms of its financial distributions to the rest of football. But it's it's a huge subject. The amounts of money involved are in billions, not in millions. Um, and the next couple of years are going to be extremely important. The impact that the, the government regulator is is going to have will be will be significant. So, the King's Speech will have the uh, the bill when uh, Parliament um, sits again next time um, in the autumn. And by the end of next parliament, i.e. the end of next season, um, there should be an independent uh, regulator. That independent regulator, the first thing they're going to do is look at most football clubs in the EFL, probably some in the Premier League as well, and say, I can't issue a licence to that football club. They're not run properly and they're on the edge of you know, financial ruin. Um, well, we all know that. That's why we're going to have a regulator in the first place. That's not a surprise. Um, so... There has to be um, a recognition by everybody involved, particularly the Premier League, that the distributions in football have to be fairer. Um, and that conversation has been alive and kicking for at least the last five years. But it has been quite intense uh, since Tracy Crouch started her fan-led review. Um, and the EFL and the Premier League should really reach a mutually acceptable uh, agreement 
if they don't, the government said that the regulator will superimpose that on football. Now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I find it. It would be better if we could agree it. And the Premier League just filibusters really at the minute. It's not doing anything. Um, it puts the occasional email out. It sends the occasional spreadsheet over. But it's not seriously trying to do it. So all that leads to is how important the EFL is in terms of shaping football over the next, you know, God knows how many years, but certainly over the next two or three as the regulator comes in and the financial redistribution is agreed. And I was asked and I uh, put my name forward to go on the Football League board so that we could be in the room, I suppose, as opposed to just waiting to hear what comes out of the room. And uh, I think it's an important time. So it won't it won't detract me from anything I'm doing at uh, Crew. In fact, it will refocus uh, what I'm doing. But we need a satisfactory outcome. We don't fear the regulator at Crew Alexandra. I can tell you that for nothing. You know, we're, we, we do not uh, jeopardise this football club in the way in which uh, some of the clubs we've seen over the last three or four years have gone to the wall or nearly gone to the wall, even for that matter. Because you know the longevity of our football club is is paramount. Um, like it's sixty-seven teams have gone into some kind of administration in the last thirty-five years, and we're not one of them. You know, you know whatever maths you do on that says, you know, we've been reasonably good at making sure we keep our heads above water where others haven't. Um, being part of the EFL and part of the EFL board. When we negotiate that with whether it's government, whether it's the regulator, whether it's the Premier League themselves, um, is something I thought I should do. Have you been asked? On on the role of the regulator, where's the FA in all of this? Because in my opinion, is there not a duplication of you're setting up a government body? And let's be honest, and I say let's be honest, this is obviously not a political party broadcast or for whatever reason, so I'll try not to stray into that world. The, the government in the current government has not exactly got a track record of delivery and delivering good outcomes for this country on the whole, I'd say. We're now entrusting them to potentially run football. Is that a good idea when actually you've got the FA in place? Have we not already got the regulator there to save us the cost? Because it could be a cost setting up this regulator, which could be distributed to football if the FA was doing their job, surely. Yeah, but you just said that's the FA, and then you said if the FA was doing their job. I know, I know but the point, I'm just trying to understand what I the know FA the point is. you're trying to make. If you go back to why why was there a fan-led review, um, is probably the first question. And without trying to be too simplistic, there was a fan-led review because it was recognised across the country, wherever that is, um, that football was in a mess and getting into a bigger mess as time went by. Um, the FA is our governing body. Where were they? Uh, well, um, it has been de decided uh, following the fan-led review and now following the white paper that they weren't ex exactly on point during you know, the last 20, 30, 40 years, since, well, certainly since the Premier League was set up, and that this has all gone south on their watch. Therefore, we need not a government regulator. Uh, you kept referring to the government. It isn't the government. The government is going to put into law that we have an independent regulator like we have in water or electricity or FCA in the financial arena. So it's an independent regulator who is supported by statute. So because these people are clever and uh, well thought through and 
and going to have a good run at it, then they will make a much better job than the FA have had. This is the, the flow of the argument. Um, the fact is, there's no argument anymore. That's what's going to happen. The regulator will not be part of the FA. The FA wanted to be the regulator. Um, Tracy Carriage Review and the government have turned down that option. Um, the FA will be subject to some kind of regulation, just the same as um, football leagues, Premier Leagues or clubs will be. So they're the decisions which have been taken by um, the fans, because it was their input that went into the fan-led review. And now the, should we say, the experts who write, uh, who write statute and get these things down on paper and how it's all going to work, um, have decided it's going to be uh, transcribed into law and then implemented on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's an independent regulator that has government law behind it. And the FA will not be doing that job because it didn't do it before very well. Well, because it wasn't done very well before. Now that is an unbelievably simplistic answer to your question, but that that, that is where we are. Does the FA still have a role in English football? Well, yes, because because FIFA does. And of course, you know, you're only talking about you know the world game is is governed by FIFA. You know, UEFA comes under FIFA. The National governing bodies come under that. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, people won't see you rolling your eyes, and I agree with it, right? But you know, th these are the facts of life. I mean, this is a very, very big industry that we're part of, and a huge game. It's you know, it's the most popular game in the world. You know, hundreds of billions of pounds are involved, and um, the FA does do um, you know laws and governance on. Other stuff. It does grassroots. It does. It does an awful lot of stuff besides, you know, um, professional football. Um, so it is very much still part of football. It's just that it was it was decided. Uh, and I say, you know, if you read the Tracy Crouch review, that is just full of football fans' view. Uh, and the fans obviously didn't have much confidence in what the FA has done since the Premier League was formed, because the FA did have the ability to make sure the Premier League played fair, didn't play dirty, um, and that hasn't happened. And uh, it's also put its name forward to be, obviously, the regulator, because it's the governing body, and that didn't find favour either. So um, we've all got our views, and let's be honest, it was, it's what keeps you talking in the pub, isn't it? Um, <laughs> what could have, would have, should have, you know, but um, that's where we are. Yeah, I'm just coming at it from the view of the regulator is obviously going to be a cost. The cost is, I think, I think that it's going to be borne by the Premier League. I think was the inference. If I'm wrong, please do correct me. But ultimately, if you're paying for something that you've already got in place, that money could be distributed down the pyramid. And if you're then, you know, spending money on having an independent regulator, you've got the FA. You're double counting money that could go to more worthwhile causes. Now, if the FA is then being rationalised to say, actually, the regulations come out of your business. We're now putting that independent regulator, which means that the money can get distributed down. That's fine. But I think we've all been, well, we've been around business long enough to see there is a, obviously at big companies and you know competing companies, there's obviously duplication. And the only people that will suffer is the football clubs ultimately, because money will be going to the FA, to the regulator, when it should be going to more worthwhile causes. Well, I, I share your frustration, I really do. Um, but as I say, football has nobody else to blame other than itself. You know, and that includes the uh, the football league. The football league has let the Premier League get off in the past. You know, they've they've you know thrown a few buns off the table and scraps, and we and we've taken them. Um, 
I don't worry about the, the the cost of the regulator in the sense that if we can get a fairer distribution model, the cost of the regulator will be, you know, um, marginal in that in that discussion. Um, your point about the FA is 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 well made, and the FA, I mean, the FA is under new management now, and it's got a completely different approach with Debbie Hewitt. But um, the, the fact is that it wasn't seen as the right and proper place by anybody to put uh, the regulator and the regulator isn't a discussion point and Boris Johnson determined there would be one and Boris Johnson can't spell football but it was pointed out to him in no uncertain terms that the game well you saw what happened for the European Super League when people were marching down Whitehall uh, the game is in a bit of a mess and you know no government can see football in its widest sense fail and uh, therefore something has to be done. So um, even Boris Johnson, who's at best a rugby man, uh, said, let's get this done. And that's what's going to happen. So um, we're not starting from somewhere else. We're starting from here. And here is there will be a regulator. He will be independent. He will have the power of government behind him. And everybody will have to pay for it. The rules will be uh, a lot more stringent. And it'll be controlled by license. And overall, that suits Crowley's Andrew down to the uh, to the bootstraps because we agree with all that stuff. We don't agree with them, you know, playing unfair off the field or on it for that matter. But um, it's a long road, you know. <laughs> we won't see much change out of this uh, um, this plan of action and uh, this project for probably the next three years. But it's got to be done. So I'm happy to be involved in it. Charles, I've got two quick things to, to finish on this um, talk of the EFL board. One's more of a point, one's more of a question. Uh, the point is, and it marries up to what we were talking about before, about uh, making more money for the club. Uh, I, I don't think I'm the only crew fan that would uh, say the best thing you can do on your first meeting is go in there and say that trophy that you won with the Premier League B teams. I've got a radical idea about that get rid of the B teams and we might be able to get some fans back in the stands. That'd be my point. Uh, my question is, uh, presumably you don't want to be the League Two representative for too long uh, on that EFL board. You're absolutely right. Uh, I do not want to be the League Two representative uh, for too long. Um, it's if, if we're promoted, I certainly won't be that, but I will certainly have 12 months to be the League Two representative and to put um, points forward. I mean, I've got a lot of a lot of time for the EFL. Um, it's changed dramatically over the last five years uh, since Sean Harvey left and Rick Perry uh, took the chair and, and Trevor Birch took over as chief executive. Got a new finance director. Uh, it can seem a little tiresome sometimes when you're trying to get uh, transfers registered at twenty three fifty nine on on deadline day, but. It's just doing the bidding of what the people in the football league, you know, the football clubs in the football league asked it to do. Um, but in the 12 months, I'll, I will do what I can. It's an interesting point that you raise about um, Premier League B teams. I mean, they are they are strictly, very definitely not B teams. They are under 21 teams. Uh, and if they didn't play in it, there wouldn't be a trophy probably because they provide most of the money for the prize money. So there would be nothing to play for in terms of it costs quite a lot of money to run the competition um, and you've seen 
how empty all the grounds are for the round robin stage. You can't have a football league trophy without having the 48 teams from League One and Two, and not many people are interested in watching, you know, Colchester versus Crawley on a Tuesday night in the first round robin. So there has to be it has to be supported financially to open the grounds. Um, costs a lot of money to open the grounds, and most of those early games are, you know, massive loss makers and that's with the Premier League putting its money into the competition if they were neither in it nor putting their money in uh, the competition would undoubtedly be in danger okay um I am going to move away Charles I've got one question so unless Alex or Steve have got anything I think this might be our last one um it is 2023 by my count and this is an odd question. Uh, by my count, we're four years away from the club turning 150 years old. Now, I know we're a little bit early, but is there anything being done to commemorate that? Or is that something a bit further down the road? Um, there is nothing being done, um, but we are very definitely thinking about it because um, we've all noticed that in another four years time, you know, it will be our 150th anniversary. So something, you know, something will be done. Uh, we will be recognising uh, recognizing it and celebrating the year, but it, the detail of which um, I wouldn't have thought we'd have before a couple of years before, but um, it's on the board agenda, so um, it'll be a great day. Um, it'll be a great year. Um, what league will we be in? You know, will we be a football league club, a Premier League club, you know, championship club? Who knows? Um an awful lot can happen in four years, can't it? So um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's fantastic that you know we've been going sort of 147 years. We've we've never been out of business. Uh, we've had a few close calls, um, and uh, we've made our fair share of headlines. Whether it's with players, whether it's been you know the odd game, or whether it's been you know the likes of Steve Holland or whatever, whatever. Uh, we're here and we're kicking and. By the time the 150 years comes, we should celebrate it enthusiastically and um, and appropriately, and uh, and we will. But what that what that will be, I couldn't tell you just at the minute, other than uh, it's on the agenda. I can't imagine there's anyone that's going to be listening to this that would disagree. But what I'd really like to celebrate that is a league title win. I know uh, <laughs> one in 150 years might be a little bit too much to ask, but it would be nice. Mm. Wouldn't it just? I mean, but if I said to you, you know, we'll have a really awful season, but we'll win the league title in two years, would you settle for that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even need to think about that, Charles. Yes, yes, well, please. Fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, you just sum up, don't you, what, what, what football's all about? Yeah, it's about hopes and dreams and aspirations and, and all the rest of it. And I think it's fantastic. And at the end of the day, there's 24 clubs in League Two and the same in League One and the Championship, all of whom have got almost identical uh, aspiration. And uh, that's why it's called a competition. And that's why, you know, sometimes brilliant things happen. And uh, as a couple of years ago, some, you know, the not so good happens, but um, we'll do what's best in the interim. And, uh, you know, if I thought we could win a you know, I'd rather be um, fourth from bottom in the championship in four years' time than win the second division title. If we're fourth from bottom in the championship in four years' time, it's me we've got two promotions on our back in four years. So, again, I'm all aboard, Charles. Let's make that happen. 
we can you know we all you know we can all sort of pontificate and we can all dream and uh you know uh, yeah, I suppose you could say, you know, given it's four years, can we dream of winning the championship in four years' time? I mean, we we will we will give due consideration to the fact that I think it's a fantastic milestone. You know, we're one of the oldest clubs and we have been around and in the league from the very start. And we're one of the 25 or 27 and some in the non-league now. But the, and they've actually been out of business. And uh, I think that's, you know, it's an achievement in itself. And uh, we have to continue with that and improve where possible. So that's what we'll do. And hopefully 2027 will be a good season, but I'm more interested in making sure 2024 is first. I think I know the answer to this one. Do you still enjoy the job, Charles? I know obviously there was some... Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. You know, it's... It's not a job. This is not a job. It's, it's, it's you know, it's a privilege. Um, and you know, to be involved with your, you know, I was born in Shellington, right? Um, it's not far, is it, from Gresley Road and and still live. It's it's an absolute privilege to be chairman of this football club and to be involved in this football club. Every morning when I get up and do something at football, it's something I've chosen to do. And I just think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I suppose the second one was related to what you said about the regulator taking sort of three years to bed in. Does that change the future vision potentially of what you 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 want to see the club where it is in three, five, ten years time, or are we very much still going to be? We're an academy club. We produce players to play in the first team. And we sell them on for profit, but they obviously contribute in terms of the numbers in the squad as well. Or actually, is that going to give us more wriggle room to potentially get more, or either invest more heavily in the academy with the with the regulator coming in? Um, well, in the short term, it has to be business as usual because. Until the regulator pans out and we we see what it really means, I don't think we can do anything other than, you know, make sure we do what we're good at. Um, and that is very definitely academy. But if you just think, without trying to second guess everything the regulator is going to do, but, you know, they'll certainly be tight on um, fiscal discipline and um, controls of um, players and how you get them and all the rest of it. Let's assume that overnight everybody becomes disciplined, particularly financially. Then we're all going to be in exactly the same boat. Um, we might be a little better off in terms of getting players from outside. But the flip side of that is it will make our academy even more, potentially, even more uh, relevant in terms of the contribution it can make to the team on the pitch and the winning of football games. So I I think it will possibly take away some of the unfairness and some of the cheating, frankly, that goes on um, in, in football. I, and I'm not complaining about cheating. I'm just saying it, it happens and will not happens. But And very often they get caught and they, they get their hands smacked. But uh, it will... It will certainly go a long way towards making cheating more difficult and the penalties more severe. Um, but I suspect, why, why wouldn't football be about de developing your own talent? If you think about it, you know, if we're buying, Arsene Wenger buys, you know, Fabregas at 14 from South America, um, why wouldn't Arsenal produce that player? Or more importantly, why wouldn't he play in South America, you know, an 18-year-old? Logically, you know, the whole transfer market, if you think about it, it 
it does it's a bit odd it's it's almost people trading isn't it it's almost slavery in a way it's it's a very odd thing to do uh, and if you can you know produce your own talent nurture your own talent and succeed with it then i can't think why you know you would want to change that unless you could guarantee that by spending money on people you don't know and you've never met, but you've got, you know, you've taken a professional view on. I can't see that being less risky than actually developing your own talent because um, you've known your own talent, you know, since the age of nine. You've known them for at least nine years. So you've got a damn good idea what they can do, um, which is why recruitment is so tricky, which is why recruitment three years ago, just before we went down, uh, was such a disaster. So it's, so things might happen under the regulator to change the view. The one thing I can guarantee everybody uh, that listens is that we won't just take it for granted. Because as I said a few minutes ago, you know, we we examine the academy model both financially and operationally, and um, the success it has in terms of producing players into the team, how many players that is in the team, and what the team does. We do that every year without fail, and we look to the future as to what's coming through and all the rest of it. So we'll never just do it uh, Pavlovian like I mean we will um, we'll always examine it but I find it hard to argue against an academy model um, Brighton is probably the best example we've got um, I suspect um, it's it's we're never going to be AC Milan are we um, we've got a town of 80,000 people so um, I think that's really good I think it's really positive and I think um, as long as we're sure of that, then we should be, we should continue to try and improve and be good at it. Um, if uh, if the parameters change, then we'll take another look. But second guessing the regulator just at the minute is probably not a good idea, I don't think. Okay, I think that will do us for another pod. Charles, uh, thank you for coming on again, being so generous with your time and your answers. Um, I guess we'll see you next summer for our promotion special from this season. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that just be uh, fantastic? Alex and Steve, thank you for coming on today. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Uh, we'll be back at some point in the summer, maybe with another special, maybe with a pre-season preview. Not quite sure. Keep your eyes on the socials. Uh, until then, goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue moon.